according to the Guinness Book of World Records, a woman in the 18th century whose name has been lost to history, she set the record for children born in her lifetime. She had 69 children in her lifetime. That's, that's more than the number of players on a professional football team in the NFL. She had twins 16 times. She had triplets seven times, and she had quadruplets four times. Twins, triplets, and quadruplets. That's quite a record. A few years ago, uh, another mother set a record when she gave birth to her triplets. She began the process of giving birth on December 28th, and she did not finish delivering her children until more than five days later. On January 2nd, the third child was born. Safe to say these are a couple records that will probably not be broken anytime soon. And there are other record-breaking births that have happened throughout the years. The heaviest baby to be born on record, and the longest, came in at a sturdy 22 pounds and 28 inches. Yes, there's your football player. On the other hand, the lightest birth weight for a surviving infant was 8.6 ounces. And the shortest baby birth measured only 9.44 inches long. It's interesting to hear of these one-of-a-kind births that have taken place. Of course, all these record-breaking births still pale in comparison to that birth that took place 2,000 years ago in the small town of Bethlehem. And there are many things that made that birth unique, but perhaps most of all, it was the fact that this young pregnant mother was a virgin. As Christians, we, we often talk about the virgin birth, at least at Christmas time, but, but we really only talk about it in passing. It's, it's kind of this phrase that we add on when we're just discussing or talking about the fact that Jesus was born. We don't really normally take the time to consider it in any depth. The virgin birth. There was never a virgin birth before it. Never has been one after it. Never will be another one. So why don't we talk about it more often? Why don't we stand in awe of the virgin birth more often? I think that it may simply be that we don't fully grasp just how important the virgin birth of the Savior really is. So this morning, as we look forward to celebrating the birth of Jesus, celebrating Christmas this week, we're going to take a little time to see together why the virgin birth matters. Why the virgin birth matters. Why it matters for the Christian life, for the world as a whole, and for the sake of salvation. So we're going to be in several passages this morning. We're going to begin in Luke chapter 1. I'd encourage you to follow along. Luke chapter 1. If you'd like to use one of those Bibles under the chairs in front of you, you can turn to page 830. Page 830 will be in Luke chapter 1. As you turn there, let me just remind everyone that I would encourage you to write down the references that we go to today. Whether you can keep up or not with those references and turn to them, write them down so that you can look at them at home. You can study them throughout the week. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, we find this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. 
The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So here we find what is meant by the virgin birth, which is that Jesus was conceived without the involvement of any man, and he was born to the Virgin Mary. Now, many people in the world will say, that's crazy. It's impossible. It doesn't make any sense. Well, clearly it didn't make sense to Mary either. She said, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And that's where we find the answer to how the virgin birth took place. It was through the power of the Holy Spirit that she conceived this child. Of course, this was not the natural way of things. That's why this was a supernatural and miraculous conception. And that's why the world hates and scoffs at the idea of the virgin birth. It's because miracles are impossible to them because God's existence is impossible to them. But unfortunately, the world's decision to reject the virgin birth often makes it tempting for Christians to say to themselves, well, maybe I shouldn't even talk about the virgin birth. It's controversial. People have a hard time with it. Maybe I just won't even mention it. But then when we stop talking about it, we start to lose the significance of it. Look, we can expect the world to reject the power and miracles of God, but God's people should never shy away from the acknowledgement of these things. In fact, for us to join the world in doubting the virgin birth will inevitably lead to us doubting many of the other miracles recorded in Scripture, like creation, the flood, the resurrection of Jesus. If we reject this doctrine, well then we need to call into question all the other teachings of Scripture. As one man put it, if this attack upon Jesus' cradle is allowed to go unchallenged, well then they'll attack his cross next, and they'll end with the tomb. No wonder why one theologian said that if this truth, the truth of the virgin birth, is removed, our entire faith will crumble. Now, understanding and defending the virgin birth, it's about more than just the credibility of Scripture, though. This, this doctrine has far deeper implications that I want us to see today. The Holy Spirit is the answer to how the virgin birth took place. But now we should consider why it took place. Why is this how Jesus came to earth? Why does the virgin birth matter? First, I want us to understand that the virgin birth matters because it proves that we have a supernatural Savior. 
proves that we have a supernatural savior. This was no ordinary birth because this was no ordinary individual. This was the long-awaited Messiah and Savior. And the uniqueness of the birth points to the uniqueness of the individual. Jesus was no mere man. Jesus has existed from eternity past. He is the divine Son of God. He's the creator of the world, the sustainer of all things. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus took on flesh to be born among us. And he did this in a way unlike anyone else, because Jesus is unlike everyone else. You see, unlike every other child ever born, Jesus had no earthly father. Rather, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit to Mary. And as the angel said to Mary, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The virgin birth, which could only be accomplished by the power of God, it reveals and points to the divinity and the heavenly nature of Jesus Christ. And this birth shouldn't be difficult to believe in for those who understand who Jesus truly is. In fact, there was a time years ago when candidates who wanted to be ordained in a ministry, they were asked what their stance was on the virgin birth. Since how they answered would be a quick indicator as to whether or not they believed Jesus was supernatural or whether they thought he was just a mere man. But if we believe in the deity, the power, the majesty, and the glory of Jesus revealed all throughout Scripture, then it won't be difficult to believe in the virgin birth. In fact, it's necessary to believe in it. We're going to look at a couple reasons why. So to do that, let's turn to Romans chapter 5 together. And again, if you're using one of those Bibles from the chairs here at the church, you can turn to page 914. Now, in Romans chapter 5, Paul talks about the fact that we've been rescued from sin because Jesus died on the cross for us. You see, there's this sin problem that has persisted in the human race. We're, we're, we're drawn to sin. We're held captive to it. And we're bound for its eternal penalty in hell. But then Jesus came. And now, although we were once enemies of God, those of us who have believed in Jesus, we've been reconciled to God. We've been made right with Him. I'd encourage you to read Romans chapter 5 at home this week because there is a lot of power and rich truths found in it. Water's too deep for us to wade into with our brief time together today. So we're going to jump to the conclusion of the chapter. Because in that conclusion, Paul wraps up many of these truths real nice and neat, puts a bow on top, just like a Christmas present. So let's look in verse 18. Paul said, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I was reading a financial publication that said, these are the five worst things you can inherit from a deceased relative. 
The first one is a timeshare. You all must be familiar with timeshares because of the never-ending contract. They said that that's a bad one. Uh, another one they said would be valuable collectibles because of the potential tax difficulties. Another one was guns because of the registrations, the permits involved. Vacation properties because of the upkeep and the difficulty among heirs, figuring out how to divide that up. And then finally, sentimental items like jewelry, again, because of the number of heirs and the fights that can result from that. Said that those were the five worst things you could inherit. And maybe those would be frustrating and annoying inheritances to deal with. But in Romans chapter 5, Paul tells us that we have all inherited something far worse. So here in Romans 5, Paul is talking about and contrasting Adam and Jesus. Adam, the first human created, he was created innocent and without sin. But then that day came when Adam gave in to temptation and he ate from the fruit from the tree that was forbidden in the Garden of Eden. And that disobedience didn't just result in Adam becoming a sinner, but every person after him. In the moment Adam sinned, innocence ended. Corruption and depravity came and a sin nature flooded into his heart. And that sin nature, that pull, that inclination to do evil, that's been passed down to every person since that time. It began with Adam, and it's been passed from every father to every child since then. We have all inherited a sin nature, and with it, death and condemnation. That is our inheritance from Adam. But then Paul talks about Jesus. Unlike Adam, Jesus was completely obedient and righteous. And remember, unlike all of us, Jesus was not born of a man when he came to this earth. Rather, he was born to Mary through the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, Jesus did not receive that sin nature that every person has inherited from their father since the time that Adam sinned. In fact, after mankind sinned in the Garden of Eden, God said that it would be through the seed, the offspring of woman, that the serpent's head would be crushed. Speaking of the Savior who would come and crush Satan underfoot. And Jesus was from the offspring of woman, not from man. Jesus didn't receive that sin nature that we've inherited. In other words, another reason why the virgin birth matters is because it was necessary so that we could have a sinless Savior. Had Jesus been born of a man and woman, as we are, he would have inherited a sin nature, just like all people born of man. But instead we find that God, God did a marvelous thing. As a result of the virgin birth, Jesus took on a human nature, but not a sin nature. And as the perfect sinless son of God, he lived a righteous life so that through his sacrifice, we who are dead in sin, could receive new and eternal life. Through Adam, we receive death. Through Jesus Christ, we can receive eternal life. You see, we need a sinless Savior. And through one man, Adam, came sin, and that sin nature that we wrestle with today. Through one man, Jesus, came the freedom from hell and the forgiveness of sin that we desperately need. 
Jesus brought that freedom. He brought that forgiveness by standing in our place on the cross when he took the wrath that our sinful hearts deserve. But the only way Jesus could be our substitute was to be sinless himself, was to have no sin debt of his own so that he could step in and pay ours. As the sinless Savior, Jesus was not born from man. But to be our Savior, Jesus had to become a man. In other words, he had to take on flesh. Let's look together in Hebrews chapter 2. If you're following along in those Bibles here in the sanctuary, turn to page 968. Listen to what the author of Hebrews said. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. He said, But we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. I tell you what, let's stop right here for just a minute. The author said that Jesus was made lower than the angels for a, a little while. What's the author of Hebrews talking about? He's talking about the fact that Jesus willingly came to this earth and took on flesh. In humility, Jesus left the place of his glory, the place of his throne in heaven, to become a lowly man. He took on a human body and a human nature. Now understand, Jesus was, is, and always will be fully God. And when he came to this earth, he also became fully man. Fully God and fully man. Now, in theology, this is referred to as the hypostatic union. One pastor described it this way. He said it's like pouring water into a container. All right? And Jesus poured the entirety of his deity into the container of his humanity, resulting in him being fully God and fully man. Two natures, one person, unmixed forever. Well, let's come back to one of my favorite questions. Which is why? Why do all of that? Why did Jesus, the Son of God, take on a human nature? Why did Jesus become, for a time, lower than the angels? Why did he do that? Look at verse 14 in Hebrews chapter 2. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, that's Jesus, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus had to take on flesh. He had to take a physical body to share in our humanity so that he could die. He had to become, as the author of Hebrews said, fully human in every way. And we see this when we read the Gospels, by the way. You read through the Gospels and you find that Jesus, he, 
He hungered. He got hungry. He thirsted. He grew tired. He slept. He wept. He was tempted, although he never gave in to sin. And he felt pain. Felt pain. Like the pain that he felt that day when he was beaten with the slaps and the punches of angry sinners. Or when his back was whipped until it dripped heavy with blood. And the nails were driven through his wrists and his feet and he was hung on that cross. And every breath that he took was pure torture. He felt pain. The punishment for sin is death and Jesus died the most horrible death and took all of the guilt and the shame and the wrath that we deserve for sin on himself at the cross. And that's why Jesus came, is to die for us. But it all started with the virgin birth. See, another reason why the virgin birth matters is because Jesus had to take on flesh to be our sacrifice for sin. He had to. Remember, God is spirit. He can't be killed. But the wages of sin is death. So Jesus had to become like us in order to die for us. He wasn't like us by being a sinner. Now, if that was the case, he couldn't have stood in our place. So he was born of the seed of woman, not of man. But by being born of the seed of woman, he was able to take on flesh. Fully God and fully man. As fully man, Jesus was able to suffer and die for us. As fully God, he rose from the dead and conquered the grave. Believers, always, always keep this in mind. God does not do things without purpose. Keep that in mind. Whenever you read anything in scripture, whenever you see something in your life, whenever you see things going on in this world, Keep in mind, God doesn't do things without purpose. That applies to the truth of the virgin birth. You see, God, God didn't bring about the virgin birth just to do a fun miracle because it had been a while since the Israelites received a supernatural sign or word from God. That's not what it was about. No, it had purpose through and through. The virgin birth reveals the supernatural origin and nature of Jesus Christ, that he is deity, he's divine, he's the son of God. But it also was necessary because we needed a sinless savior who could be our physical sacrifice for sin. All oh, the virgin birth matters. So remember this truth, church, as you celebrate Christmas this year, and anytime you think of the virgin birth, remember this. The virgin birth is not just about how Jesus came to earth. It's about what he came to do. He came to die for me and you. So let's praise him together this morning, believers. Let's praise him this Christmas in our homes that the Lord of all creation would come and be born to die. That he would take on a human nature so that he could suffer for us. Let that sink in. How much he loves us. And let's praise him for that. And friend, if you're here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, please understand that Christmas is not about gifts, although giving gifts is certainly fun. It's not about the festivities. It's not even just about a birth. Christmas is about God's plan of redemption for you. Understand that the reason Jesus was born is because we've all sinned. We've all broken God's commands. 
We can't make up for our sins. And the just penalty for them is that we'll be separated forever from God in a place called hell. But because God loves us so much, he sent his son to this world. And Jesus came and was born, lived a perfect life. And at the end of that life, he died for me and you. He took all the wrath we deserve. He powerfully rose from the dead. And now Jesus is standing in heaven waiting to offer you the forgiveness of all your sins, a right relationship with him, and the salvation of your soul. The question is, are you willing to give your life to Jesus Christ? He gave his life for you. And if you've never made that decision, please know that you can do that right now, today. Would you pray with me? Friend, if that's you, if you're here and you know Jesus isn't your Savior, but maybe it's finally starting to make sense. And you're ready to give your life to Jesus Christ. If that's where you're at, then wherever you're seated, wherever you're joining us from, please know that you can go to Jesus Christ in prayer right now and admit to him that you are a sinner but that you know he died on the cross for you. You believe he didn't stay in the grave, but rose from the dead. And give him your life. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll save your soul. You'll step into a relationship with him. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that 2,000 years ago, Despite all our sin, all our brokenness, all our rebellion against you, thank you that in your love and your grace, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. To take on a human nature, to suffer because you love us. Because without you, we're hopeless. And we're helpless. We'd still be wandering around, spiritually blind with no hope. We thank you that that's not the end of the story. Father, this Christmas, as we celebrate with family and friends, help us to remember the real reason Christmas is worth celebrating. Is that Jesus left the glory of heaven to come and be born so that he could die for us. And I pray that in our thankfulness for that, that in our joy for the Lord's sacrifice, we would choose to find someone we could share that truth with. We would use this opportunity as people are celebrating Christmas to tell them the truth worth celebrating, not the salvation available to them. Just to be faithful to these things. Father, we do love you, but you proved without a doubt 2,000 years ago when you sent your son, you love us so much more. Help us to remember that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.